Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Don't forget, next Sunday morning, I'll be sharing a message entitled, The Mercy of God. On October 27th, I finished the notes for that message about 11.30, got on my bike and was heading west to go visit a friend, had an accident on I-70. I hit the concrete barrier between uh, the lanes at about 75 miles an hour. Someone was doing that, saying you were going faster than that. Uh, I will never admit to that, all right? Maybe, but you'll never get it out of me. And I should have been dead. Matter of fact, today, I shouldn't be here. I should be in Rose Hill Cemetery in Oklahoma City. That's where I should be. But for the mercy of God. So next week, invite everyone you know, all your family, all your friends. Yeah, I know it's Thanksgiving weekend, but they need to hear the mercy of God. They need to experience the mercy of God. Amen? So this morning, I want to welcome uh, Pastor Todd today. Kathy, would you stand and let us welcome you as uh, Terrell comes as well. God bless you. We're so glad you guys are here. And uh, we've just adopted you as part of our house, and we're so glad that you've been willing to come this morning. One more time, make him feel welcome. Glad that he's here today. Yeah. We love you guys. Love you too, Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Bless you. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, two weeks ago yesterday that I was having lunch with uh, Rick Haug, who happens to be a dear friend of Pastor Steve. And his wife, Beverly, is a dear friend of uh, Yvonne. And so Rick pulled out his phone and he began showing me pictures of Pastor Steve right after the accident. And I, I can, you know, just from those pictures I saw, he shouldn't be here today, but God. Hallelujah. God's got big plans. God's got big plans for you. Uh, you know, I don't think it was by accident that Steve and Yvonne came to Pastor Christian Heritage Church and now All Nations Church, because when God has an assignment for somebody, he looks for the right person. And, you, you know, somebody said that the perfect pastor has got the heart of a child and the mind of a scholar and the hide of a rhinoceros. And uh, Pastor Steve has got all of those things plus more. He's very, very gifted. And God's not finished with you. God's not finished with his church. Amen. Amen. You know, this morning, uh, just before I start talking to you about a risk that all of us face, I, I came across this recently. It says, when South Florida resident Nathan Radlick's house was burglarized, thieves ignored his widescreen television, his expensive electronics. They even ignored his Rolex watch. What they did take, however, was a white box filled with a grayish white powder. That's the way the police report described it. A spokesman for the Fort Lauderdale police said that it looked similar to high-grade cocaine, and they thought they had hit the big time. Well, later, Nathan stood in front of numerous TV cameras, and he pleaded with the burglars. He says, please return the cremated remains of my sister, Gertrude. She died three years ago. Well, the next morning, the bullet-riddled corpse of a local drug dealer known as Hoochie Pevins was found on Nathan's doorstep. The white box was there, too. About half of Gertrude's ashes remained. Taped to the box was this note, which said, Hoochie sold us the bogus blow, so we wasted Hoochie. 
Sorry we snorted your sister. No hard feelings. Have a good day. You know, you can't make that stuff up. Well, again, it's a real privilege and honor for Kathy and I to be here. I want to talk to you this morning about a, fa- a risk that we all face. Psalms 91, the first two verses, says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for the way you've ministered through these wonderful young people this morning. We thank you for the sweet anointing that destroys and breaks every yoke of bondage. And Lord God, we speak victory over this house. Lord God, we speak victory today over Pastor Steve and Yvonne. We speak victory over the staff. We speak victory over the board. We speak victory over every small group leader. We speak victory over every minister in this church. We speak victory over every member of this church. In the name of Jesus, and everybody says amen. 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 You know, every every pastor is at risk today. Every board member, every deacon is at risk today. Every member of the body of Christ is at risk today to something that's called discouragement. Discouragement. It's the absence of courage, but it's worse than just the absence of courage. It is something that goes terribly wrong inside us. I want to share with you four things about discouragement. And then six times that you're especially vulnerable to discouragement. And that's just the introduction. And then we're going to get in to the word of God. Okay, here's four things about discouragement. Number one, discouragement is an equal opportunity enemy. You know, no matter your age, you can get discouraged. Did you know little kids? There's been all kinds of studies done during COVID about how little kids have gotten discouraged and teenagers have gotten discouraged and college students and young adults and middle-aged adults and even senior citizens. Every single one of us can get discouraged. Number two, discouragement is a dark force from hell that has an agenda and the agenda of discouragement listen to me carefully is to create doubts in you you see the devil wants you to doubt that God is for you the devil wants you to doubt does God really interested in me does he know what's going on inside me the devil wants you to doubt yourself he wants you to doubt your ability to hear God's voice He wants you to doubt your ability to stand in faith. He wants you to doubt other people. See, the devil wants you to resign. He wants you to quit pushing the envelope. He just wants you to give up. He just wants you to say, you know what? I've just had it. I'm just going to start coasting. Listen, when the devil wants to stop a church, who does he attack? He attacks your senior pastor. He attacks your lead pastor. What happened three weeks ago? There was an attack upon your pastors. But thank God, God's not finished with them. (laughs) And what the enemy is meant for harm, God's turning around and making it work together for good. Doesn't mean there wasn't some weeping. Doesn't mean there wasn't some difficulty. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, 
All it took to discourage 1.6 million people was 10 spies. Man, they sent Moses, sent out 12 of them. Two of them have a good report. It's a beautiful land. We can take it. But 10 say, yeah, it's a beautiful land. It's flowing milk and honey, but it's got walled cities and the people are like giants and we're like grasshoppers. And they infected with their discouragement. They infected an entire nation. With discouragement. See, that's the way the enemy operates. He wants to bring somebody to sit beside you that's discouraged. And he wants to bring somebody behind you and in front of you who's speaking words of discouragement, words of doubt, instead of faith in God. Number three, discouragement goes for your soul. You're a three-part being. You have a, a body and you, you, you have a soul and you have a spirit. And in your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And discouragement targets your mind and it, it targets your emotions because out of your mind and out of your emotions comes your will to make decisions. And discouragement wants to destroy your decision making. And discouragement wants you to make bad decisions. Satan is a liar and the truth is not in him. The enemy wants to get into your thinking, he wants to warp your perspective. Number four, discouragement attacks us at our most vulnerable moments. Let me share with you six times that you're vulnerable to discouragement. Number one, after a painful and traumatic event. First Samuel chapter 30. Some of you know what verse six says. Just to lead up to that, David and 600 of his mighty men have come back to Ziklag and they're looking forward to seeing their wives and they're looking forward to having some home cooked food and they're looking forward to hearing their kids laugh and have fun and they ride into Ziklag and to their dismay, everything's on fire. Every one of their houses is, is, is going up in smoke. Everything they owned has been stolen. Their cattle, even their wives and children have been kidnapped. And the Bible says those men... Those mighty men, those giant killers, they wept until they didn't have any more power to weep. Look at me. It's okay to weep. It's a whole lot better to weep instead of to, to pull that pain down inside you. But it says the, they wept until they didn't have any more power to weep. And then one of them looked at David and said, King David, he wasn't king yet. He just said, David, it's your fault. You're the leader. You're responsible. We're going to stone you. And it says in verse 6, and it doesn't give us much information there, but it says in verse 6, it says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Dear ones, every one of us have got to learn to do, encourage ourselves in the Lord. Huh. Number one, you're vulnerable to discouragement after a painful and traumatic event. Number two. You're vulnerable to discouragement following seasons of stress and seasons of spiritual warfare. Listen, folks, look at me. Tension is nothing more than being pulled to the breaking point where you just can't take anymore. Man, when I was pastoring, I pastored here for 18 years and there were days I'd get on the phone early with people. And they're telling me everything that's wrong, what they don't like about this in the church, what they don't like about that. And then I'm talking to another person an hour later and they're telling me everything that's wrong in their life. And then I'm talking in the third 
person and they're telling me everything that's wrong. And then the fourth person and the fifth person. And by the sixth person, I'm telling my secretary, just be careful who you get me on the line with now, please. And then I'm getting a staff pastor coming in. And how many of you know, I hire my staff pastors to be to hold up my hands and to help me. But some of them don't want to do that. Some of them want to just come in and tell me everything that they think is wrong, too. So I get a staff pastor coming in telling me everything he thinks is wrong. And then I've got another staff person waiting when they get out of the office, waiting to come and see me. And then I've got a third one coming to see me. And there are days I feel like a, a, the hen that was nibbled to death by ducks. There are days I just want to say, if another person comes and brings me a bad report, I'm going to shoot somebody. Because you just stretch to the breaking point. I think about Elijah. Such a mighty man of God. He calls fire down from heaven. I think about Elijah who put 450 prophets of Baal to death. I think about Elijah who outran Ahab's chariot 25 miles across the plains of Jezreel, which is the Valley of Armageddon, if you don't know that. That's what he ran across the Valley of Armageddon. He outran the chariot. But after all these things, he gets physiologically depleted. I don't care how much anointing you've got in your life. You've got this treasure in an earthen vessel. And you've got to take care of your earthen vessel. And Elijah, he is physiologically depleted. And he gets a, a note from Queen Je Jezebel saying, I'm going to send a messenger to kill you. Now think about this for a minute. If she really had the political cloud at that point, he has just turned the nation from worshiping Baal back to worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If she really had the ability to kill him, she wouldn't have sent a note. She would have sent an assassin. But in his weary frame of mind, he couldn't reason that out. He just got up and took a servant and they began to run, 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 run into the wilderness. He was depleted. And what did God do? God said, boy, you need to sleep and you need to eat. You need to sleep and you need to eat. Lord, I'm the only one left. They've killed everybody else. He says, I've still got 7,000 who haven't bowed down to Baal. You're not the only one. Look at me. You're not the only one going through what you're going through this morning. You're not the only one that's hurting this morning. You're not the only one saying, Lord, I, I don't know if I got enough money to pay my rent. You're not the only one who's saying, Lord, things are getting bad. Inflation is tough. Lord, I go to the grocery store and I can't buy any meat. Lord, I go to, to, to pay for this and go to pay for that. And everything's just gotten sky high. You're not the only one. Many may be the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all number four you're vulnerable to discouragement when you face moments of personal disappointments and personal failure everybody look at me everybody hear me I don't care how smart you are how able you are how strong you are how much money you have or don't have Sometimes our best is not good enough. Sometimes you're going to run into a situation where your best is not going to be good enough. See, I think about old Simon Peter. Jesus says, Satan's asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon. And when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. 
Where can he be sifted? See, the only place the devil can sift you and me is where there's sin in our heart. Let no man say when he's tempted that he's tempted of God, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. But where did James say that stuff starts? It starts with something going on inside you and me. Sometimes we just say, well, the devil did it. No, the devil may have brought temptation. Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But the only place that you can really get, get, be tempted and you'll give in to temptation is where you're harboring sin in your heart already. So here's Simon Peter. Lord, I'll never deny you. Before the cock crows, three times he's denied Jesus. And so you find Peter so discouraged. This whole ministry stuff doesn't work. I'm not going to do this stuff anymore. I'm going to go back to fishing. And so he takes three or four disciples with him. But thank God we got John 21 recorded in the Bible where Jesus restores Peter to ministry. And that's what he wants to do for you too. Number five, you can become discouraged in times of loneliness in times of isolation. Everybody look at me. You have small groups in your church because you need one another. We need one another. Oh, we need to have good worship. And you had great worship this morning with these young people. Thank you. In fact, give them a hand. Come on. Wonderful worship. We need wonderful worship. You need good preaching and you've got a great pastor and he preaches the word of God faithfully. Amen. But let me tell you, you need more than just good singing and good preaching. You need one another. We need one another. And we need to be living life together. You know, the thing that always amazed me about, how many of you remember that old television show, Cheers? Remember what they said? It was a place where everybody knows your name. Everybody, I mean, there's a dysfunctional group of people, really. But everybody knows your name. And we need one another. We need community. And especially with COVID here, because COVID happened in our small groups in every church all across the world ceased to operate. But we need one another. And if you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. Whatever it takes. But we need one another. See, Paul experienced isolation. He experienced loneliness. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. Paul says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, and inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. Folks, God knows how to send a Titus into your life. But he that has friends must show himself friendly. Okay? Okay? There are people that will be a Titus and they will encourage you. I remember as a young leader, I, 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 don't, I don't know why, but I became a vice president at Regent University, CBN's Regent University, when I was 34 years of age. Now, I wouldn't have made myself a vice president at that age. But 
For some reason, they did it. And I started running into problems I didn't know how to answer. I started running into issues I did not have the answers for. And I remember this one specific problem had come up. And I felt like such a failure. I felt like, Lord, I need to resign. But a friend, his name wasn't Titus, but his name was Dale. Today's Pastor Dale O'Shields in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Dale O'Shields came up to me and he says, Terrell, let me tell you something. I was praying and I heard the Holy Ghost tell me to tell you that when you fail, you don't fall on a bed of nails. You fall on a cushion of grace because of the cross, because of the empty grave, because of the resurrection. You fall on grace. And I want you to hear me today. Some of you are beating yourselves up because, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. Yeah, you and I are going to do that. But when you fall, you don't fall on a, be on a bed of nails. You fall on a cushion of grace. Can you say hallelujah? Glory to God. Glory to God. One last thing. We're vulnerable when our dreams and hopes are delayed. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire realized is a tree of life. See, Joshua expected victory at Ai. He expected it would be easy because they were a small little city. But instead they got defeated and he went back to God. He says, God, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. And God spoke to him and says, there's sin in the camp. Joshua, you need to address that sin and then go forth into battle. Dear one, sometimes we just need to take inventory when our hopes and dreams don't seem to be coming to pass. We need to take inventory and say, God, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in you. And if there's anything in my heart that's not right, Lord, I repent. I don't want that stuff inside me. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Many, many's the time I've driven up and down I-10 and up and down Monroe Street over here and Meridian Road and then Thomasville Road and then Appalachian Parkway and Capitol Circle. And I've said, Lord, I thank you for a desire realized. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But Lord, you know, I've been praying about some things and I just want to thank you for a desire realized. I didn't see those desires realized. I couldn't hear them being hear my prayers being answered. I couldn't see any movement on God's behalf. But I just had to say, Lord, I thank you for a desire realized. I thank you. I thank you for a desire realized for my children, for my son-in-laws, for my grandchildren. Lord, I thank you for a desire realized. Hallelujah. Now, are you ready to start for the sermon to start? Are you ready? What we need, what I need in facing discouragement is I need a plan from the Holy Spirit. I need a protection plan. And Psalms chapter 91 is one of my protection plans. I've got others, but it's one of my protection plans. Now, when, when Pastor Steve graciously invited me to, to speak to you last spring, I shared with you a story. and Some of you may remember it. I'm not going to retell that whole story. But let me just say this. Back in January of last year, January 6th, I experienced what the medical world calls a medical mishap. I had not one, but I had two doctors, two physicians who misdiagnosed what was going on inside me. And they both prescribed medications 
that begin fighting each other inside my body. First happened on January 6th of last year. And I woke up in the middle of the night having a panic attack. My brain had gone into a fight or flight syndrome because these drugs, these pharmaceuticals were inside me and they were warring against each other. And I'd never had a panic attack before. I'd prayed for hundreds of people with them, but I didn't, didn't really know what they were. And I'll tell you, the best way to describe it for me is it was like, it was like a nightmare that you know is not true, but you can't get out of. You're in this nightmare and you can't get out of it. I didn't know what was happening. This panic attack comes. This fight or flight syndrome takes place in my brain. And the serotonin, see you have serotonin. I hope you do. You've got serotonin in the front of your brain. And that serotonin gives you a sense of peace. It gives you a sense that everything's all right. It's what allows you to fall asleep at night, or you should be able to anyway, because that serotonin. And what happens is that when a fight or flight syndrome kicks in, suddenly the serotonin leaves the frontal lobe of your brain and it goes to the back. Now, it doesn't stay back there for a long time. But this is what happens. And so I couldn't sleep. I went a week, an entire week without sleeping. And the problem is that I'd have panic attack after panic attack after panic attack. It happened in January 6th and it continued throughout the month of January. I lost 30 pounds. Somebody say hallelujah. I, I need to learn because I gained it back. I don't want that to happen to lose it again though. I started having Anxiety attacks. During the day, I, this depression would come and my head would get so heavy. I couldn't stay under lights. I had to sit in a dark place. And I thought I was losing my mind. And I would sit in those dark places and I would just begin to tremble. Kathy would walk by me and she thought, my husband's going crazy. All I could do was tremble. It happened in January and it continued into February. Our physician said, get him into some counseling. I said, well, Kathy, I've got one request. I pray it's not somebody that's ever attended our church. You know, if any of our churches had all the people that have ever attended we would have thousands and thousands and thousands of people and you don't know who all's attended. And so the physician suggested the counselor and Kathy took me in there and precious, precious person, precious person. But as soon as I sat down, they said, well, hello, Pastor Terrell. I used to attend your church. And I tried to talk to him. I couldn't even talk. All I could do was cry. I just wept and I wept and I wept and I tried to tell the story and I wept and I wept and I wept. They still hadn't figured out. Now, the medical world hadn't figured out that I got two different medications that are working against me. They just think they don't know what's going on with me. I'm bananas. They just don't know. When that session was over, that dear psychologist said, 
I really can't help you. What you need to do is go into a psychiatric hospital. I just wept some more as we drove home. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm having a nervous breakdown. It continued in the month of March. Continued into May. I would try to pray and read my Bible and I felt like God was a, a million miles away. I'd read the Bible and I felt like I was reading an encyclopedia. I would pray and it seemed like God was nowhere around. But I know this is true that God is our refuge and strength. That he's a very present help in time of trouble. And that he's a very present help to those that count him a help. And if you want to have God's help, you've got to count him as your helper. And you've got to stand in faith and not go by feelings, but go by what thus saith God. And so I'd go to the word of God. And one of the chapters that I lived in was Psalms 91. I didn't feel anything now. But I would pray this almost every day. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I knew that the word for Almighty is El Shaddai, the God who's capable of being everything we need him to be, the God that's more than enough. And I would say, I thank you, God, that you're more than enough. I didn't feel anything. I'm still crying. I'm weeping. I'm shaking. I would say, Lord, I confess this psalm to you today. I testify that I live and I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I testify, God, that my address is not 2576 Bishop's Green Trail or 2024 Chalky Benin or 2300 Old Bainbridge Road. My address is Psalms 91. I'm living in you and you're living in me. I'm in the secret place of the Most High. I'm abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. You say, what's the secret place? It's the anointing. It's God's presence. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. In the Father's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And I'd say, I boldly say, I live, I dwell here. I'm not setting up a tent. I'm not buying a, a condo. This is not just a, a part-time thing, but I'm going to live in your presence. I didn't feel a thing. Didn't have any Holy Ghost goosebumps running up and down my spine. But I'd say, Lord, I'm living in you. And Jesus, you said you'd send me a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And my body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and you said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and he gives life to my mortal bodies. Steve was sharing with us, Pastor Steve was sharing with us how the Spirit of God, and I know he'll go into more detail next week, but how the Spirit of God Brought life to his mortal body. Oh, people, what in, the, what in the world do folks in the world do? What do people do that don't have Jesus? What do they do? He says, I will say of the Lord. Folks, you don't want to ever say the Lord's forsaken me. You don't want to ever say, I can't trust the Lord. You don't want to ever say the Lord has brought sickness and disease and heartache to me. You want to say the Lord is my refuge and my fortress. He's my God and him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. I boldly testify, Lord, today that I'm rescued from the snare of the fowler in Jesus' name. From every trap of the devil. 
Isaiah 55, 11 says that when the spirit of the, when, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. And I thank you for the standard of the word of God and the Holy Ghost and, and, and the blood of Christ. I thank you for the standard of the cross. I thank you for the standard of the empty tomb. I thank you for the standard of the one who says, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I thank you for the standard of the kingdom of God. I thank you for the standard of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Folks, I still can't feel anything. I don't feel like shouting. I don't feel like dancing. I don't feel like doing anything but just crawling into a hole and just closing my eyes and trying to sleep. But I'd go to the Word of God. Huh. Verse 4 He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your, your, your shield, and your buckler. Buckler was a small shield. You have two shields there. His truth shall be your shield and your small shield. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day. I'd say, Lord, I'm not going to give place to this intense, overpowering fear. I'm not going to give place to this intense, overpowering anxiety. I'm not going to give place to this intense, overpowering depression in Jesus name. Nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon day huh. fear would come against my mind and so many times I'd get Kathy to pray with me and I'd just lay hands on my head and I'd say the blood, the blood, the blood the blood, the blood, the blood the blood, the blood the blood, the blood, the blood the blood, the blood, the blood the blood, the blood in Jesus' name, you foul devil that tells me that things aren't going to work out for me, that I'll never be normal. You foul devil that tells me that things aren't going to work out for my family. You foul devil that tries to lie to me and things and says things aren't going to work out for our future. You foul devil that would lie to me and tell me that I'm forever going to be going to be a basket case. I'm going to tell you the devil is a liar and the truth is not in him. Glory to God. I'll try to hurry this along. Glory to God. A thousand may fall at your side. And ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Devil, you may tell me I'm going to fail. You may tell me that my family is going to be destroyed. You may tell me that tragedy is coming my way, but you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand. It shall not come nigh unto me. Now watch this. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you made the Lord who is your refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He shall give his angels charge over you. When your motorcycle hits a ladder, he'll give his angels charge over you. When that bike goes into the concrete median and you're left just rolling down the street, he'll give his angels charge over you. When all the tra traffic in I-10 wants to run you over, but somebody says, no, we're not going to let anybody come up any closer to our pastor. See, his angels, oh, we keep them busy. Thank God. See, one day when we get to heaven, you're going to meet your guardian angels. You're going to meet 
meet those angels that saved you so many times. You're going to meet those angels who were sent to, to, to be ministering spirits to those that are heirs of salvation. Kathy and I, many years ago, were privileged to spend some time with Bishop Jesse Winley. Bishop Winley founded the Soul Saving Station for Every Nation Church in Harlem, New York. And Bishop Winley told us a story. He says, one day I was out on the streets preaching. And he says, three young men came at me and they all three had knives. And they said, we're going to cut you up because we don't like what you're preaching. We don't like what you're saying. And he says, they kept getting closer and closer and they backed me up into an alley. He says, I took the Bible and I put it against my chest. And I just closed my eyes and I began to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He said, I didn't know if I was getting ready to be cut or what was going to happen, but I just said, Jesus. And he says, I heard their knives hit the pavement and they were running off. He said about two months later, one of those young men made his way into one of our services and he asked for prayer. And I said, young man, why did you guys run off that day? He said, it's because when you begin to say Jesus, 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 he said, there stood a man behind you that was about 12 foot tall and he didn't have a knife. He had a sword drawn and he was looking right at us. Thank God for his angels. He said, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. These are simply metaphors for demon spirits. Remember this, Romans 16, 20, Paul says, the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. And you just need to say, I'm, I, I'm crushing the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. I'm trampling underfoot. Now look at the last three verses, because the first 13 verses of this chapter is the psalmist talking. But in these last three verses, it's God talking. In fact, a great sermon is called the seven I wills of God. And we're not going to try to preach that to you, but I'm going to just point them out to you. Verse 14, because he set his love upon me, God says, I will deliver him. Dear ones, I'm telling you in January and February and March and April of last year, I would sit in a dark room just shaking and feeling this heaviness in my head and this depression and this despair. And I, I would just feel this anxiety trying to take my heart in this fear. And I would read this and God says, I will deliver him. He says, I didn't say I might deliver him. That may not have happened the moment I wanted it. But I'm going to tell you, January, February, March, April came. At the end of April, I began to feel a difference in my body. By this time, the doctors had figured out and changed the medications. I started feeling different. And in May, I began to feel different. I tell you, our God's a delivering God, but you got to count him as a delivering God. That's the first I will. I will deliver him, God says. Look at the second one. I will set him on high because he's known my name. In other words, God says, I will take you out of the gutter. I'll take you out of the mire. I'll take you out of the mud and set you up. Verse 15, he shall call upon me. Look at the third I will. I will answer him. Ha <laughs> ha. The devil says, the, de the Lord's not going to answer your prayer. No, no. Look at this. Let me read this to you, devil. God says, I will answer him. Look at the, the, the fourth I will. I will be with him in trouble. Glory to God. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. 
With long life. Everybody say long life. With long life I'll satisfy him. And I will show him my salvation. <laughs> you know, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the words for salvation, it's, they're very similar in meanings. And they're an all-encompassing word. And it means restoration and soundness and healing and wholeness and deliverance. I will show him my healing. I'll show him my wholeness. I'll show him my deliverance. I'll show him my restoration. I'll show him my soundness. Glory to God. But we face an enemy. That enemy is called discouragement. Don't you let that foul demonic spirit. Don't you let that devil fight against you, but you take authority over him. In Jesus' mighty name. Can we come to the keyboard? Just begin playing. I want everybody to stand all over this house. You know, I think this is a great morning. And you're going to obviously you're going to have a victory service next week. You need to be here. I know, I know it's Thanksgiving and I know you might have relatives. We'll bring them. Just bring them. But you need to be here. It's going to be a great victory service. I'm going to ask everybody that will. I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you're standing and just come stand. Right across the front here. Everybody that will. Come on. Everybody that's a part of this congregation. Everybody that calls this congregation home. Just come and stand right across the front. Just going to pause for a minute while you're coming. I see a lot of friends. I didn't see you guys earlier. Good to see you. buddy Doug over here. We worked together for 18 years. This guy's got an anointing. He'll start playing sometimes. It's just the glory of God. The glory of God. It's just so important. So important that we proclaim victory over our lives. That we proclaim victory over this house. You see, three weeks ago, the enemy, the enemy had plans. But what the devil meant for harm, God's working together for good. And I'm going to tell you something. In my 18 years of pastoring, about three miles from here, you went through a number of different pastors and you had a lot of pastoral staff. And a whole lot of them ended up in my office. A whole lot of them ended up just saying, I need a listening ear. I need somebody that will pray with me. And I knew when your pastoral pulpit came open before Steve and Yvonne came from the Southwest, I knew in my heart that you needed somebody who indeed had that heart of a child and that mind of a scholar and that hide of a rhinoceros to lead this congregation. There's a lot of guys, I'm going to tell you, 
They couldn't take it. They couldn't take the financial strain. They couldn't take the strain of being in the shopping center. They couldn't take the strain of just what the congregation has been through. But the Holy Ghost knew what he was doing when he sent you Steve and Yvonne. If you don't know it, he's one rough cowboy. But he loves you. Told me how much good it did him last week just to come back to church. Be here with you. Because he loves you. I want you to do something with me. I want us to start proclaiming victory. I want you to proclaim victory over this house, first of all. Okay? Just start proclaiming. Say, Lord, I speak victory over this house. 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 Come on. Come on. I speak victory. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.